Welcome to the third episode of Sequelizers, the show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies. If there's a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, you better believe we're going to try and fix it. I'm your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the two teams of Sequelizers. Our first team is comprised of Stuart Ashen. Hello. And Alec Plowman. Hello. And our second team, Mr. Matthew Stogden. Hello. And Tom Martin. Hey there. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, we're going to be tackling something a little bit near and dear to my cold and blackened heart. We're going to be talking about Batman, but not just any Batman. Batman Forever. Arguably the first bad Batman film. Some people argue it's Returns. I like Returns, and we kind of agreed between us that Mm. Returns is not the one that needs fixing the most. Yes. It's also not the last bad Batman. That's very true as well. It's not the worst Batman. The thing with Returns is that it's really, it's a fun film. It's not necessarily a great Batman film. Yeah, it's a good Max Shrek film. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love the Shrek story will be told before he went and lived in the swamp. (laughs) Can we recast Shrek as Max Shrek? (laughs) Mike Myers is Max Shrek. I know, you're an (laughs) all-star. Wow. Let's move along. Oh, we've peaked early. We have, we have. (laughs) So, um, before we get to actually fixing things, why does Batman Forever need sequelizing? Done. It's good. Move on. (laughs) No, no. uh, I think Batman Forever... Because we discussed this as well about um, just Batman Returns. Batman Robin, everyone agrees, agrees is probably the worst one. Uh, But Batman Forever is where the direction shifted to neon and kid-friendly and very campy. And nipples. And nipples and over-the-top stuff. There's a lot of really positive stuff in there, but by and large, it's just such a shift and such a change. And the direction's very strong, but so wonky. So many touch angles. It's a it's a very weird movie for being a film of its time. And mm. I think people kind of forget this about Batman Forever because it's such a 90s movie. And just the way it was conceptualized... Um, like it's described as the MTV Batman. Mm. That was how they pitched it (laughs) at the time. Um, And I totally get why they wanted to reboot after Batman Returns. I understand the motivation behind that, given that Batman Returns did reasonably well, but not brilliantly well, and did perhaps push away from the more sort of family-friendly market. But they compensated for that by trying to make a movie that, basically appeal to every demographic it's got mm. so many characters who feel like they're box ticking exercises in mm. terms of what's hot right now so it's like hey Chris O'Donnell was a musketeer let's get that guy in there yep. um, Nicole Kidman is starting to be a thing let's get her in here Jim Carrey was in that Ace Ventura mm. movie <clears throat> Val Kilmer was Jim Morrison there's something for everyone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, say, and Tommy Lee Jones yeah. <laughs> for that cranky old man in Texas yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that one guy that's like the Tommy yeah. Jones fan club in Texas it's just like yeah it's <laughs> a Batman film for me and yet they stuck in things like um, I can never pronounce it Michael Goff what should we say yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so it, it's continuation from Batman Returns you've got Pat Hingle returning as Commissioner Gordon it's definitely the same universe which is Rob's rebooting it cold they just sort of changed everything except for yeah. a couple of elements and it's yeah. kind of weird and it just has such a such a visual shift as we were saying and like it goes from just being kind of just complete neon and over the top and you kind of got the kind of really nice gothic elements for the first two and they just kind of kind of not ditch it but just turn it into this kind of day yeah. below I must admit thing. I was 11 when this came out 
And I really enjoyed it as a kid. <laughs> because I was a kid. Uh, the um, Phantom Menace Syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, still, I still think there's a lot of uh, commendable elements to it. The problem is that, uh, again, it was, it was really just a commercial for toys. And why is Tommy Lee Jones in this film? What is Two Face in this film? He's it's trying like, to be Jim Carrey. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's uh, like his Riddler, but not quite yeah. as good. Yeah. Yeah. Harvey Two Face. I should hasten to add. Harvey Two Face refers oh. to him as yeah. throughout the film. Make not like the Harvey Dental Two Face. Yeah. Harvey Two Face. We could have had Billy D. Williams in there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, they set so it up through two yeah. films. I know. Yeah. And twenty odd or twenty odd years later, he finally gets his chance in the Lego Batman movie. Yeah. Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, 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 it really is. Yeah, well, I can't believe you've not seen it yet. I haven't seen it. There are so many cameos in that film that everyone gets at least one line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, Literally. You'll appreciate the Bane references as well. It's good. Mm. It's good. Also, the Batmobile. Probably the worst design of the Batmobile. It was It was the second worst, because it was, it was really <laughs> shockingly bad, but George Clooney's had no roof. Because um, oh. you could just chuck a grenade in it, but that was because the idea. I thought was... it was the same one. No, it's slightly oh, different because it has a. Like, it's got a little yeah. uh, roof over it because uh, uh, Chris O'Donnell steals it. And he's hiding inside, saying, "Welcome to my love machine." Um, <laughs> fun, fun fact: H.R. Giger designed the original. Yes, yeah. 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 It's basically it's just so phallic. Four cocks. Four cocks with a yeah. I've, I've never seen it move, but I bet it rotates yeah. in a sort of dildo-y kind of way. For God's sake, H. Can I call you H? <laughs> we wanted five cocks. You've ruined the whole yeah. thing. It's, it's, it's the hand of that John Hill Street. <laughs> Just get Tron's toilet or whatever. That'll have to make do with it. Put some rings on it. Yeah. The, the airbag is a ball bag. <laughs> Oh, Batman. There's a slogan for a t shirt. <laughs> the first equalizer's t shirt. Uh, the first of many. First mm. of many. Um, so, yeah, it, it fails on a lot of levels. It tries to somehow balance the campiness that succeeds it and the noir, like, brooding of the, the Burton films as well, and it doesn't nail that tonal shift at all. Imagine in... if you were given the script for notes, it'd just be Two Face. Well, no. That's not, that doesn't fit in anywhere. What's That's this character doing? What's this? Look, take these bits and make them make sense. Exactly. Yeah. Don't yeah. fucking not marry more. Put more people in for toys. <laughs> there are, yeah, there are so many sort of unresolved plot things yep. and so many paper-thin characters. Motivations for a lot of people aren't really apparent. And Batman kind of has an arc that's about his psychology and... That starts and doesn't get resolved, really. There is some stuff in the in the trailer for the film where he's literally face to face with that yeah. giant bat, and there's obviously well, obviously, there's a lot of um, deleted scenes whereby um, he goes back down the, the the well, I think it is, and yeah. confronts this giant bat, and he's he, he's a, he genuinely, I think there's a this arc about how he blames himself for his parents' death and yep. his dog. Yep. So all this sort of really interesting actual Batman arc stuff that's like. Eh, let's just have Jim Carrey say, "Wow!" Kids love that. Oh, and that awful CGI effect on his face at the end was oh, just like a basic God. setting that moved once, <laughs> and then he's got like a really distorted skull in the next shot, and then later he doesn't because yeah. that's expensive. Both of the villains are basically the Joker in one form or another, but neither yeah. of them actually commits to it, yes. and it's this weird kind of. Neither one is the Riddler nor Harvey Two Face. There's that frustrating <laughs> thing with him, the the flipping the coin thing as well that he's not consistent with. Yes. So mm. he flips the coin, and if he doesn't get the outcome he likes, he just flips it again. And <laughs> for it, just cut the coin out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The whole 
Um, which defeats the whole point of yeah, Two-Face and yeah. that and that's how Batman defeats him in this film oh God, is he throws, throws the, the coins yeah. and distracts him yeah. and like oh no I don't know which one's mine and I fall off and then I die mm. and no and what will I ignore exactly yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need the coin anyway so why does it matter like, that actually would have been quite a good um, that's a pretty classic Batman kind of thing to do yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if it had worked so let's Fix move on it. yeah let's move on to fixing it and before we get to that team names Oh, Appropriate Ooh. team names. This will be interesting. Stuart and Alec. Batnethels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good start. Good start. And Matt and Tom. This week we will be called Street Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Street Sharks again. We're going to be Street Sharks again. The Street Sharks ride again. Street Sharks forever. forever. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Street Sharks forever. We did it. We did it. We, we, we went there. We went there. There was like a panic between Tom and myself. We, we got nothing. We got nothing. We're going to get Street Sharks forever. <laughs> Let's kick off with the Street Sharks forever. Oh! Because Alex, Alex fits a verse. Yeah. He is. <laughs> Alex, Alex Lauman has been talking about this pitch. Do you like just start before we even st- started recording any episode? Before Alex the invention of the microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> before <laughs> podcasting was a thing, Alex Lauman has been like forever was around. I've been I've been writing this pitch since I was about fourteen years old. <laughs> oh my god! Damn. This is this is this is some tantric stuff going on right here. It's I thought be... I'd save you for last, Alex. Don't worry. I like to yeah. build the tension. Okay. Right. So uh, Street Sharks forever. Right. Take it away. Okay. So our elevator pitch for what we're calling Batman Legacy. Oh. Okay. Yeah. We haven't had the title change much yet. We so. have now. No, we have now. And actually, the way we come out of the title was quite good. We were like, we need, a, we need a good title. It needs to feel a bit like Tron Legacy. And we both looked at each other and we went, Tron Legacy! That's next time. That's next time. So, through a combination of police work, court cases, and Batmaning, Gotham's crime rate... <laughs> it's a bird, it's a bird. Yeah. Of course it is. Gotham, I totally agree with Gotham's you. crime rate is dropping. As such, the criminal underworld unite behind Roman Sionis, a crime lord in a black skull mask. Following an attack on district attorney Harvey Dent, Batman must contend with a new, ruthless vigilante hell-bent on executing a more effective means of street justice. Nice. The inclusion of a slightly more obscure Batman villain in Black Mask, who people probably recognise from the Arkham games, probably his most Mm -hmm. famous appearance... Tiny weird little note here. Uh, we're releasing it in 1996. Interesting. Mm, mm, so mm. not the same day as Jaws 2 as it was previously. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Jaws 2 won, we wouldn't take their thunder away. So, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Uh, no, in 1996. Okay, right. We're going for the director of Wild Wild West, Barry Sonnenfeld. But wait, but wait, there's more. Um, no, this is, this is Barry Sonnenfeld 1996. So he's only just in, uh, obviously, our universe, directed Get Shorty... The Adams Family and Adams Family Values. It goes on to do Men in Black. This is before the tainted world of what the fuck are you doing, Barry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Returning cast, we've got Michael Keaton as Batman, Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent, Michelle Pfeiffer coming back as Catwoman, Michael Goff as Alfred, Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. New cast, Michael Wincott uh, playing Roman Sionis, or the Black Mask. So he's just done Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and The Crow, and most iconically, it's his voice at the end of the day. It's one of those people you go... Who is that? And then you see him go, oh, that guy. Uh, he goes on to do Alien Resurrection and a bunch of other stuff. Very good actor, in my opinion. And playing the role of Barbara Gordon um, from Leon, Heat, and what will be Mars Attacks and Star Wars Episode One. 
Natalie Portman. Ooh. That's why I went for 1996. I wanted to be a little bit older. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the DOP will be Darius Volsky, who was um, worked on Romeo's Bleeding, The Crow, goes on to do Crimson Tide, Dark City, a lot of really dark Dark's imagery. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and the composer will be Ellie Goldenthal still, who did the Batman Forever score. But we wanted to make it less bongos and brass and weirdness <laughs> and say, go back to what you did with the interview with the vampire. That was good. Make it really soulful, moody, brilliant. That's what that's our that's our view. That's that's where we're going with. Okay, okay. Over to Bat Nipples. Okay. Ooh. I will say that this was mostly Alex's work. <laughs> I got it. For better or worse. Is that like a proud <laughs> adult or a disowning? <laughs> no, that was, it was good. I did try and interject at one stage. He's writing. He just went. <laughs> 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 just threw coffee at you. Um, if you weren't writing this wearing a cowl, I'd be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, Alex very much, very much had this one in the, the uh, palm of his brain, okay. and I think it works as a result. The title of our film: Batman and Robin. Oh, oh shit! Nineteen ninety-five. Elevator pitch: Batman is pushed to his physical and emotional breaking point, facing the Riddler, his ultimate adversary but is able to triumph by finally letting go of his demons and embracing new sidekick, Robin. Mm. Our director, we have uh, elected to uh, give Tim Burton the boot huh? and have brought in Mr. Sam Raimi. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Who, of course, went on to do Spider-Man, mm. which is a phenomenally successful superhero film, but in 1990 directed another great superhero film that's less well known called Dark, Dark Man, Man. Mm. which is a great movie yeah. and this is around the Quick and the Dead sort of time as well isn't it yeah, yeah. so yeah we wanted to Sam Raimi's a guy who gets comics and we thought that this was really important mm. for this film mm. uh, which is why we went with him we had yeah that was our motif in terms of uh, cinematography, editing in terms of music, in terms of special effects and everything else. We wanted to bring back all of the people that worked on the first mm. Batman because we wanted this to have a visual continuity with that. Although this film is most definitely a soft reboot of the franchise, as will become apparent because we have recast Batman <gasps> slash Bruce Wayne. Ooh, interesting. 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 And our <laughs> choice for Batman is a moderately well-known actor circa 1995 who would go on to do some quite big things by the name of George Clooney. Oh, my God. What in the <laughs> shit? <laughs> what? Okay, okay, Jesus okay. Right, tell me he didn't have the best bat chin. He did not uh, have the best bat chin. got a pretty good bat oh, chin. Yeah, no, but Affleck's bat chin is, is, is good. Um, um, yeah, okay, okay. George Clooney is a great actor. George Clooney is a great choice for Batman who was given the worst Batman movie of all time. And we think that with the proper material, George Clooney could knock it out of the park. So this is our, our reason. We're giving George Clooney a second chance. I'm not going to lie, I find that very interesting. Clooney, uh, it's like a, um, from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. In the role of Robin slash Dick Grayson, Edward Furlong. Oh, very interesting. interesting. Okay, Terminator okay. 2 fame. We've gone for a younger Robin because one of my great annoyances about Batman Forever is the fact that Bruce Wayne adopts a fully grown adult who is only about two years younger yeah, than him. Yeah. <laughs> In 
one of the single strangest. Chris, Chris O'Donnell, I think, is like six or seven years younger than Val Kilmer. Yeah. He's absolutely mental. I've never adopted a man, but I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can, can buy whoever I want. I adopted this old man. I can kill my son. In fact, now he's my grandson. Like, and my mother. <laughs> Where will you Where will you go, Dick? Oh, I don't know. I'll probably just go rent a house and get a fucking job or something. <laughs> I don't want to stay in your stupid house because I'm a fucking adult. Okay, well, you can play with this motorbike. Well, fuck it, fine. I've got my own car, thanks. I'm fine. Alfred, make me a fucking burger. I'm staying. Um, I'm in the room! <laughs> So how old is Edward Furlong at this point? Uh, Edward Furlong, I don't know how old he is, but we went on the basis that obviously it's four years after T2, yeah. but he does American History X in 98 okay. and yep. still convincing still teenager, yeah. Teenager. Yeah. Yep. His voice yep. has fully broken at that point. But basically. it works. Cool. So yeah, so we thought he could get away with it. In the role of the Riddler slash Edward Nigma. Robin Williams. Of course, oh, yeah. 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 As it should have been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Robin Williams went for so many Batman roles, including this one. And we think that Robin Williams is a great actor. Mm. He's who does serious very well, mm. which people forget. He can do serious and menacing if you see yeah. one hour photo. One hour photo is yeah. terrifying. Or, Fisher know, King is really good yeah. at that. Fisher King's amazing. Yeah. 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 So, and finally, Tony Zuko. Mm. Played by Ray Liotta. Mm. It's our Renta Mafia. Yeah, indeed. Um, and as for other other cast, yeah, Michael Michael Goff back again, and you know, Goff is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's um, so these people, you know, every other minor roles yeah. recurring yeah. with the people yeah. from the first. Theme. So I like what we've both done already. It seems. In that there's very little to no love interest, Nicole Kidman, <laughs> and, and it's, it, it, one of the things that it feels like one of those forced elements, even even mm. in contemporary Batman stuff, is like has to have a girlfriend. Why? Rachel. Just mm. let him be gay, Batman. In the comics, he really rarely <laughs> ever does. He's <clears throat> I'm a, Batman's almost asexual in the comics, yes, apart absolutely. from the times when he's not. But apart um, from when Frank Miller. Yeah, turns him yeah. into a sex monster. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Christ, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> all that weird animated killing joke thing. Right? Oh, oh, I was God. about to make that joke because you've got Barbara Gordon. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, just. No, no, no definitely no, not. Definitely not. Oh, no, this narrative isn't long enough for the film. I stick like a really soft core porno at the start. <laughs> Kids will love that. You've done it, kid. <laughs> Everyone goes home. Right. Should we do it? Street Sharks, rather. Street Sharks. Over to you for your, <coughs> um, your pitch. We forgot who goes first by tossing a coin. Uh, it wouldn't even matter, just make a decision. Oh, <laughs> cool. So, uh, <coughs> this is Batman Legacy from Street Sharks Forever. Trademark. Um, <laughs> we open on a nighttime city skyline. A title card introduces the depicted sprawling metropolis as Star City. One of the lit skyscrapers plunges into darkness and we cut to a night vision POV shot tracking through a luxury suite in said building. A whip cracks a painting from the wall, revealing a safe. The burglar cracks the safe, which opens to reveal velvet boxes filled with emeralds. In the shimmering green light, we see the masked face of Catwoman. Quickly snatching the jewellery, Catwoman turns and is confronted by the dark silhouette of Batman, stood at the end of the room. She rolls her eyes and toys with him, joking that the lack of billionaire vigilantes in Star City makes it a much more appealing location than Gotham. 
Catwoman then inquires if Batman continues to chase her around, who will protect Gotham? As he approaches Catwoman to apprehend her, Batman explains he doesn't work alone anymore. Cut to titles. They're pretty good titles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Television at Wayne Manor depicts District Attorney Harvey Dent successfully prosecuting the mob in court. Turning off the TV, Alfred helps Bruce change for a police gala, then goads him for not taking Selina Kyle into custody. Bruce explains that he still thinks there could be something between them if they could, ju- if they could both give up their extracurricular activities. Alfred muses that Bruce is too stubborn to settle down and there will always be another cause to take up. At the lavish social event, Bruce mingles with various police officers, court officials and their families. Commissioner Gordon introduces Wayne to his teenage daughter Barbara. The two reluctantly and awkwardly bond over the death of Barbara's mother when she was young. In an abandoned warehouse, mob boss Roman Sionis holds a meeting and makes a statement to his men that people like the Joker and the Penguin failed because they wanted to be the centre of attention. To prove his point, he disavows the Mafia families and adorns a black skull mask, saying it doesn't matter who he is. Using his new title, Black Mask, Sionis says what he needs is loyal soldiers willing to work for the good of organised crime in general. One such mafioso steps up and volunteers to send Dent a message. In the court the next day, Dent is attacked by Black Mask's man, doused in acid from the Ace Chemical Plant. The effects of the acid drive Dent insane as he starts to hear whispers in his head. Tearing himself loose from the hospital equipment, Dent sneaks out and runs off into the night. Meanwhile, Batman takes to the street to find out where the hit on Dent came from. He is greeted by a wall of silence, proving loyalty overrides fear and his main strategy doesn't seem to work. Similarly, criminals who have become emboldened from surviving Batman's interrogations are shocked when they are confronted by a disfigured vigilante who uses the alias Two-Face. Unlike Batman, Two-Face's judgment relies solely on the neutrality and fairness of a coin toss, with sentencing being uh, immediate execution. Black Mask is pleased by Batman's lack of progress, but wary of this new character who seems willing to go the extra mile and kill decent earners. He further muses that despite trying to create a criminal ideal, he will eventually become the centre of attention he tried to avoid and begins formulating a way to defend himself. Batman is summoned by Commissioner Gordon, who admits that the execution of criminals by this new vigilante is helping to reduce crime. He goes on to highlight a comparison to when Batman first appeared, and and if both men had shown up sooner, his wife might still be alive. Batman disagrees, but Gordon says that the Dark Knight's actions will inevitably attract like-minded individuals like moths to a flame who will hurt themselves and others if they aren't handled properly. At this point, Two-Face shows up at the back signal, flipping his coin over and over. Both men are shocked to learn Gotham's murderous vigilante is actually Harvey Dent. Driven crazy upon hearing his name, echoed by the deafening whispers in his head, Two-Face snatches the coin out of the air and shoots both men. Batman is taken off his feet, allowing Dent to escape, but Gordon doesn't survive the encounter. Retreating to the Batcave, Batman puts the pieces of investigations together to link Sionis' lack of publicised activity with the rise of this unseen Black Mask character and the criminal who attacked Dent being one of of Sionis' old associates. On the street, Two-Face manages to make the same connection as, unlike Batman, Two-Face's willingness to kill anyone based on the toss of the coin scares the criminals into into breaking rank. Both Batman and Two-Face respectively arrive and make their way through Black Mask's hideout, juxtaposing Dent and Wayne's disparate styles of justice. Eventually, both vigilantes find themselves in Sionis' office, but the man himself is absent. A screen on the wall powers up and Black Mask appears, announcing that both men have been causing the crime lord a great deal of grief and that they need to settle their differences. After all, one maniac is easier to deal with than two. After a brief hand-to-hand fight, Harvey, sounding a bit more like his former self, Flips his coin, but Batman batarangs it to the wall. Furious, 
Dent pulls a gun on Batman, who dodges the shot, which ricochets and hits Dent in the shoulder. In a fleeting moment of clarity, Dent explains he doesn't know what's happening anymore and admits he needs help. Black Mask interrupts the moment, jeering at their futile attempts to stop man's most basic instinct. Uh, self-preservation and success by any means necessary, and enrages Batman. Free from distraction, Batman escapes the room and hunts down Black Mask, who is attempting to flee. The two fight it out, and while it's very one-sided, Sionis' words seem to affect Batman more than his punches, um, specifically asking if Batman will kill him in the same way he killed Joker and Penguin. Shocked by the reality that while he may not have killed those men, he didn't manage to save them either, he simply knocks Sionis out. With Black Mask defeated, the police arrive and take the crime lord and ex-DA away. Batman speaks with the new commissioner, Harvey Bullock, who doesn't approve of Batman, but appreciates the help. The first of two epilogues details Batman visiting Two-Face in Arkham, who is still conflicted about everything he has done, but as the whispers return, he starts lashing out furiously, still in the throes of his duality. The final epilogue depicts Commissioner Gordon's funeral. Afterward, Alfred leads Barbara to a car with Bruce waiting inside. Barbara and Bruce share an awkward, silent drive to Wayne Manor, but as they drive past the mansion, Barbara demands to know where they're going. Bruce explains that he knows... Um, what she's going through and wants to help by adopting her Barbara lashes out and says that no one can help her he admits not as Bruce Wayne no a hidden entrance opens up and they drive down a long tunnel eventually leading to the Batcave awestruck and still grief stricken Barbara is stunned Bruce calmly explains he will help her channel her thirst for revenge in the only way he knows how at this point a chamber door slides open revealing the Batsuit we slowly zoom in on Barbara's face as tears fall from her eyes cut the credits and stuff thanks no um, Monk's Reward post-credit scenes. Because <laughs> it's the fucking 90s. Yeah, nice. Over to you, Bat Nipples. All right. I'm looking forward to this. We open on Edward Nigma in a meeting with Bruce Wayne, pitching what he believes is the future of electronic entertainment. His product is a video game that reads users' brainwaves to adjust difficulty levels. Wayne, however, does not share Nigma's enthusiasm. The ethical implications of the tech are too much to think about. Nigma returns home, seething. He vows that his game will be a success, and vows revenge on the man who spurned his idea. Ten years later, and Bruce Wayne is a mess. Still reeling from the apparent death of Catwoman, he's thrown himself into his work as Batman, neglecting the day-to-day running of Wayne Tech in the process. He isn't eating, he isn't sleeping, and Alfred is concerned. Unbeknownst to Alfred, Wayne is having flashbacks to the scene of his parents' death. He also fixates on a red journal. As well as this, a number of cryptic riddles have been delivered to Wayne's myriad residences and places of work across Gotham City. He can solve the riddles, but does not yet understand the connections between them. The back computer alerts sounds, a robbery at Gotham Central Bank. Batman races to the scene. The culprit is mob enforcer Tony Zuko. He's perpetrated several high-profile crimes in recent months. Batman believes the crimes are part of something bigger, but can't work out what. The Dark Knight prevents the robbery, but Zuko gets away, the result of Batman being in strung-out shape. Alfred convinces Bruce Wayne to attend Haley's Circus for a high-profile charity gala. His being out of the public eye is causing unwanted media speculation. Adding to this, Wayne Tech stocks are being outsold two to one by Nigma Tech, the company founded by Edward Nigma. Nigma Tech's flagship product is the same video game that Bruce Wayne rejected, currently the biggest selling entertainment product in Gotham City. Bruce attends the show and is swarmed by the media. His reappearance is a hot story, especially as his arch rival Edmund Nigma is also in attendance. The circus performance concludes with an appearance from the world-famous Flying Graysons, family of trapeze artists. 
But during the performance, a high wire snaps. John and Mary Grayson plummet to their deaths, and their only son, Dick, is left orphaned. Suspecting foul play, Wayne covertly leaves the auditorium to don his Batman guise. Nigma notes his disappearance with great interest. Surveying the crime scene, Batman deduces that the rope was deliberately frayed. It's indicative of a protection racket scheme, exactly the sort of crime that fits Tony Zuko's M.O. On Alfred's insistence, Bruce Wayne takes in Dick Grayson. The boy is alone and has nowhere else to go. Grayson confides in Alfred. He too suspects foul play, revealing that intimidating mob enforcers visited the circus in the days before the incident. Dick feels confused, angry, guilty and out for revenge. Alfred thinks he needs a father figure, but Bruce is obsessed with finding Zuko. Hitting the streets and getting information with an unusually heavy-handedness, he discovers that Zuko was indeed responsible for cutting the high wire, and that his boss is an unknown figure who goes by the name of Riddler. Tony Zuko delivers his latest takings to his boss. Since the circus tragedy, Haley has agreed to pay up. Riddler is revealed to be Edward Nigma, his successful business empire funded by Zuko's ill-gotten gains. We discover that Nigma's video game not only reads people's minds, it can overload their cerebral cortexes and kill them. Nigma intends to kill the players that are employees of Wayne Tech and the beneficiaries of Bruce Wayne's myriad charities, the ultimate revenge for Wayne's rejection. Riddler has also deduced that Wayne is Batman. As well as killing Wayne's employees, he intends to humiliate him by putting the Dark Knight through an elaborate gauntlet of deadly traps and riddles that he has assembled. He assumes that Batman will fail and be killed, asserting Riddler's ultimate intellectual superiority. Zuko does not like Riddler's plan. In fact, the only reason he is working for him is to pay the medical bills for his gravely ill daughter. Back at Wayne Manor, Dick Grayson uses his considerable acrobatic skills to bypass Wayne's security systems and break into the Batcave. Batman is out on patrol, but information from the Batcomputer reveals that Tony Zuko is the man responsible for his parents' death. Seething with anger, Dick races to face Zuko, fully intending to kill him. Alfred pleads with him not to go, but those pleas fall on deaf ears. Outside Zuko's hideout with a hunting rifle stolen from Wayne's armory, Dick is ready to pull the trigger, but witnessing a tender moment between Zuko and his daughter, he hesitates. Batman arrives before he can pull the trigger and returns him to the Batcave. Batman sees something of himself in Grayson and understands his pain. He tells him that revenge is not the answer, revealing the story of how killing the Joker, the man responsible for his own parents' death, did not bring him the peace he thought it would and sent him off on a dark path. He tells Dick that he cannot be burdened by his guilt and has a revelation about his own recurring nightmares. The Red Book was his father's journal. The final entry read that Thomas and Martha Wayne were taking Bruce to the cinema that night, but did not want to go. Bruce felt guilty about his parents' death because he thought it was his fault. In this moment, he realises it was not. The warm moment does not last, however, as it is broken up by the invasion of the Batcave by Riddler's henchmen. Bruce and Dick try to fight back, but they are caught unawares and outmatched. Dick is kidnapped. Riddler reveals himself to Bruce, reveals his motive for revenge and his plan. Bruce is knocked out, the Batcave is destroyed, and Dick is taken away. Bruce is awakened by Alfred, as per Batman Forever. Good thing they didn't know about the subterranean Batcave, etc, etc. Alfred and Bruce put together the clues. He's out of his funk and back into full-on detective mode. 
The clues reveal the location of the Riddler's hideout. Batman goes in to rescue his ward. Dick is held captive as bait, his cell guarded by one Tony Zuko. Dick reasons with him, reveals that he saw Zuko with his daughter and understands the duress he is under, but that creating more pain for others by carrying out Riddler's dirty work is not the answer. Zuko lets him escape. Batman arrives. Riddler's gauntlet pushes him to his physical and mental limit. He defeats all bar the last challenge, which is about to end him when Dick appears and saves Batman's life. The Riddler is infuriated, as Batman reasons that his obsession with revenge has isolated him and that it was his downfall. Riddler still has one last recourse, though, the switch that will kill Wayne's employees. But taking the heed of Dick's words, Zuko reveals that he has disabled it. Enraged, Riddler squares off in the final bout against the Dark Knight and is trounced. While his brains might be comparable to Batman's, his brawn is not. I should uh, I should also point out that in our film, every character's shirts have holes cut in them for <laughs> Regardless of whether... Yeah, I should point out, in our film, there are no nipples anyway, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody takes their shirt off. Yeah, just just latex. I mean, yeah, it's where approximately 25% of the VFX budget for our film has gone, yeah. is in nipple yeah. kind of hiding. Ah, you see, 25% of ours was in nipple and heart. Cancel each other out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, CG nipples don't come cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Not in 1995. <laughs> so, uh, bat nipples. Yeah. Speaking mm. of which, it's your turn to chastise. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Forever. Chastise the... <laughs> I don't like to. <laughs> chastise! Yeah. Um, one questions. Question. Uh, did I Too many questions. miss something? Or is the black skull a bit thick in yours? Because mm, why would you say that? Well, he doesn't want to be noticed, so he wears a black skull mask, yeah. which means everybody going to then want to know. Where's the point? Is. It's it's the initial reaction of I'm at the end of the day. Um, he is a high-ranking thug, let's say, for the mafia. He's not in charge. He's not a brain man. He's. I mean, it, it, we kind of went for the mindset of um, uh, the black mask in Under the Red Hood. Um, so he's, he basically eventually runs all the crime in Gotham but then of course he realises he it's, it's that ambition of a younger man where it's like oh I know I'll do this and then gets there and thinks shit I didn't think this through I actually have no idea how I'm going to be you know infamous and somehow unknown and that's why he feels eventually they're going to come for him no matter what so that's why he plans the house of horrors eventually so as Bane says well that's exactly what I was about to say is the, is the idea yes. that, that he, he's almost trying to make himself it, it, bigger than a just one legacy. person. A legacy. He's, he, uh, he's, he's copying Batman. Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah, and yeah. he's he's also kind of he's trying to make himself into an idea rather than just a person, and he thinks that he can combat a legend. <laughs> he thinks he can make more of a, an impact in terms of becoming a, a better, better class of yeah. criminal. Which uh, Gordon kind of hints at with saying that the more you do this, the more you will attract people like you, and they'll basically mm. just in the same way that the in. Uh, Batman Begins there is that really nice yeah escalation the idea that you know Kevlar suits that kind of thing <laughs> I'm just going to be quoting shit um, but yeah that's, that's the idea that, that eventually you will have someone who says oh that works for the good guys we'll do it for the bad guys simple as that just sort of keep uh, meeting each other like for like I think it's interesting you mentioned Batman Begins there because mm. this to me felt like a Christopher Nolan era yeah, Batman yeah, it was much well, darker speaking... even than Burton although in a different way mm. So I went for Barry Sonnenfeld. We think that he can uh, bring a bit of... I know it doesn't say that in the script, but the standoffishness of... Uh, which we'd like to build on in a potential future film. Um, the standoffishness between a teenage 
Natalie Portman and Michael Keaton at the top of his game, I think it would be just spectacular cinema on screen. Those two just riffing together. And Sonnenfeld, with his Adam's Family sort of history, can make some... And Adam's Family, if you think about what his content is, it's insanely dark. But he makes it quite light. And I think he could bring something like that to this. Kind of an evolution of the gothic Whereas story. Whereas actual stories... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, but I was saying that Batman Returns, for example, if you take out the missile-armed penguins, is basically just corporate espionage with some... Mm. The Max Shrek story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that's... exploiting a deformed man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, politicians. Actually, he's not a politician. But he does run... Yeah. yeah, he does, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 so that's the, that's the point. It's, it's the idea that it's taking elements that are already present in the Batman universe and bringing it to its eventual Nolan-y kind of conclusion, if that makes sense, without making it complete Nolan completely. Yeah, it wouldn't be... I think the, half of the reason... Not half of the reason, but some of the reason that the Nolan one is, is feels Nolan-y is because it has that very realistic... Um, very modern post 9-11 feel to it and that very much that kind of inspired by heat this would very kind of visuals and style I mean it's basically heat but in the Batman universe <laughs> but like this would very much still feel like a comic book movie and have that very kind of stylized pseudo gothic kind of feel of Gotham City yeah and that, that timeless is it the 40s is it the 90s, 90s yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of that, that kind also because if you ask someone who, like a Batman fan or anybody really what was the problem with Batman Forever and Batman Robin they will say too campy too colourful so we're like well let's just make it not campy not colourful which is ultimately what Batman Begins did as well so yeah. there's that similarity at the same time I think the the uh, the Burton ones are kind of campy which people yeah they have a I know they got a lot of schlocky to yeah. them yeah because th- that's the thing for me I'm I liked it, but I did feel mm-hmm. it was a Batman movie from a different era to the yeah. one that you've set it in. Mm. And I know that we're playing in a world where there are no rules. Well, technically so speaking, I'd say yes and no. Nolan hasn't done it yet. And yeah. that sort of stuff, I, I would yeah. agree, only in the, I disagree, because we brought in the, uh, basically a lot of, in the form of Michael Wincott and Darius uh, Volsky from The Crow. And you've got Crow out there as well. You've got Heat, as, as Tom's already said. There's a lot of darker aspects of the thing out there. We're just putting them into a mainstream uh, release mm. as opposed to independence. We're just escalating what's already coming. And again, we're not... I don't think. I don't know if it'd be successful as a film, if I'm pretty honest. No. Um, I would hope it would be uh, in the past. <laughs> but, yeah. but then, I mean, things like... Um, Pulp Fiction have come out and stuff like that. So, mm. so again, I, it's, it's two very distinctive markets. It's not now where you have everything as a PG thirteen, so everything can push towards that a bit more, but not to the extent. Oh no, I, this would be a, a proper fifteen, like like Batman's released on VHS or the Batman Returns, yeah. I should say. Yeah, um, yeah I think we we would be trying to get the again. We we can't say how the film would be. A received or B marketed or however you want to you know uh, how it'd be uh, graded by the MPAA or whatever. Otherwise, this, this podcast would be like six hours long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we'd be going depth as to why we do certain things. But I think it would be the idea that they take it to a natural conclusion. For example, in the partly in our world, as it were, Catwoman was getting a spin-off. It was going to be Michelle Pfeiffer just entered to development hell and then went on to be Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. At this point, Tim Burton's trying to do um, his Superman film. In our sort of universe, they are going down the darker road of there will be a Catwoman film, there will be a Superman film, and this is the Batman film, and the Batman film has to be dark, and that's what they've sort of decided, and that's where we sort of went with it. That's what Warner Brothers have done recently, and look yeah, what they've done. Yeah, but they've in the 90s, look at what they've good. good. They might not have copped but it up. Look at the, um, uh, another question, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting things with characters, because you had... Catwoman show up for a second. Yeah, she was coming at the start. Presumably to set up your Catwoman spin-off movie. Kind of. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Barbara Gordon didn't feel like she was in it that much, even though she was... That was going to be my question. I didn't really understand that he said, I have a partner now. No, 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 because I think ultimately we introduce her in a way that um, rather than making her introduction the first five minutes of the film and then trying to sort of squeeze her into a plot a la, let's face it, a lot of sidekicks and most problems with a lot of films that are trying to introduce a villain and a sidekick and two villains or three villains or whatever they're doing at the same time it becomes too many introductions we thought we would use this entire film as an introduction to her sort of you know through going back and forth and making her a element that will be properly explored at a later film my question then Mm -hmm. was why black mask and why not more batgirl that was my question and also (laughs) why not more because you also do some interesting things with um, with Harvey Dent. Because mm-hmm. yours isn't entirely... Your origin isn't entirely traditional to the Harvey Dent origin as it stands. Yeah. And one thing that I'm going to get my Batman fanboy on now... Um, <laughs> we're, now? Ready, we're ready. <laughs> my <clears throat> my favourite Two-Face origin story ever yes. is the one in the Batman animated series surprise surprise yeah it's the best Kelsey Freeze because (laughs) it had a and the thing that I like that they do there Mm. um, and something that they also touched on in Nolan's Batman Mm. is the idea that Harvey Dent has an underlying psychological condition Mm. and that this is just the catalyst and I didn't really get that that's where you were going with it in that movie he seems to be a straight up great dude yep and then and then he's a criminal yep. shit, yeah and yeah. then he pretty much um, and I'm very honest with you I would say it's this because again we were trying to make the Ace Chemical Link from the first film because we want to make this a trilogy we want this proper continuation it's still Keaton still the same universe everything's still the same we reference you know the Penguin and the Joker and stuff and, the, and what's come before more heavily because Batman Forever as it stands does make sort of references to stuff but in a way like mm. almost like it's done by a different studio and we don't want to talk about it um, but in our one we're like no 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 this happened the Ace Chemical Plant is still a thing. The effects that went from Jack being just this criminal oh. guy to then a crazy mental. I see. So I didn't pick up on that. So you're using yeah. the yeah. Ace yeah. Chemicals oh, as an actual... Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Right, yeah. I understand sorry, that now. Turn the Joker yeah. Man is turning Yeah, into... okay, sure. Well, yeah, I kind of see that then. Mm. And arguably half man, not as mad as a Joker, because he's only got a bit of a splash on his face. It's yeah. not yeah. It's, it's not his... It's, it's not, not full, full immersion. Yeah. 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 And, it's, it, and also, he does have a sound mind of a man trained in law for years and years. That's why it, duality comes out... Well, again... Obviously, these are just synopses, so we haven't gone into full yeah. in-depth scenes and so on and so forth. But there would be, in the middle of the interrogation things and the various means of execution, all that stuff, unlike the Tommy Lee Jones thing, it wouldn't just be like, ah, I'm going to shoot you anyway. Except um, on the moment when he is driven kind of insane outside the bat signal. I wanted to put that in there primarily because the bat signal is like saying, hey, I know where Batman's going to be. You kind of played with the um, Long Halloween thing there as well. Little, the yeah. three guys. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you killed Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, well, it's bold. I mean, it's weird because <clears throat> Commissioner Gordon's got piss all to do with those <laughs> two Batman films anyway, yeah. other than shine the bat signal. Yeah, um, we wanted to so, basically bring uh, rather than just doing Dick Grayson, we wanted Barbara Gordon, and it gives her a motivation to be. It gives her a relatable motivation to Batman to <laughs> to gives gives him a motivation and her a motivation for the adoption and for them to be mm. relatable to each other in a far more kind of believable way than just oh you know kind of 
your Gordon's daughter and kind yeah. of, there's not a tragedy that would bring them to then they need that tragedy to bring them together. Yeah, and it's not just some random kid, it's it's like someone he partly knows and also rather again much much again the idea of not too many introductions. We don't want it to be Oh look, there's someone else we have to introduce as well. By the way, here's Dick Grayson, here's Barbara Gordon. It's more the idea of we know Gordon, and here's his small part in the first two films, but you, the audience still established, hey, Pat Engel, we know that guy. And therefore it's like, oh, also, he's been affected by crime. The commissioner's, you know, not just got into... And also, arguably as well, it's that thing of, you know, kind of no one gets out of there alive. Like, it's destroyed another family in Gotham. And yeah. his, his, fa- his whole family's been wiped out and another orphan. And mm. again, in terms of the legacy title, it's that thing of it's happening again. There's a cyclical nature of the kind of the, the cycle of violence, which is what... Um, uh, sort of Alfred is saying and he's going to lose at the start because you'll gonna, never settle down never you will always find something else because it will always yeah. come there'll always back be an excuse yeah. yeah to go why we went with uh, Black Mask it was primarily because we wanted to make it a bit more um, again I, the problem is that Nolan did a lot of stuff by grounding it and making it far too realistic at times if you ask me um, mm-hmm. but yep. yeah this one is more the idea of we wanted to make it scary for the audience it mm-hmm. went grotesque for the first two films we wanted this to be more psychological grotesqueness. Like, again, all I can think of seeing is the scene with Michael Wincott playing Top Dollar yeah. in um, uh, The Crow where he's at the table and he's talking to all his henchmen and it's just a really scary guy just being a bit mental and really dark voice and just wanting to light fires and stuff like that. And he's a bit, he's a bit more jokery in that because he's like agent of chaos kind of thing. And, you know, you know, was it like, Devil's Night greeting cards, that kind of thing. It's like, um, I like the idea of this, this really ruthless criminal with an actual purpose not like Joker where he's like sorry I should say Ledger Joker where he's um, he's just he's just as he says an agent of chaos he's yeah, just there to, this he, is someone he wants who, to watch the world burn. yeah this is someone who wants to make crime a full time thing he wants to be to again the duality aspect um, you've got um, Batman fighting crime and being this this persona that everyone knows he wants to be that but without the personal um, attacks as it were the personal threat to himself because again he's still a mafia henchman he's still the guy who's seen People above him, like capos and stuff, get just whacked and just you know taken out of the picture. He doesn't want to be the target. He wants to be the success. And the more he gets into that, the more he realizes, ah, shit, I can't do this. Um, I'm going to need to do some elaborate, stupid House of Horrors crap because it's what seems to work. Um, and that's why he thinks, oh, actually, I know. I'll just get these two guys together, get them to kill each other, and I'll just take one out at the end of it. It'd be fine. Um, and in the process, he also tries to get in, his, in, in the victor's head, which then ends up being Batman, saying, yeah, you kill those two men, you'll know better than me, kind of thing. And, um, yeah, we like to basically put that sobering moment to, to Batman. I think it's interesting that you picked up on the whole Batman being a killer thing. Mm-hmm. Because well, well, I wrote down because you guys as well. That was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. Because it's something that the Tim Burton films just did, they were like, Batman doesn't have a problem with killing people. Mm. And... I guess, like you guys, I kind of felt like, well, kind of core to Batman's character is that he kind of yeah, has an issue well, with that. This is, this is, and yeah, I this really is, wanted to... It's, it's the... Uh, well, it's why Batman versus Superman is, is ridiculous. It's like, Batman, core to Batman's character is he doesn't use guns. Oh, wait, he's using lots of guns. It's yeah. like, it just doesn't yeah. gel with the core tenets of what makes that character that exactly. character. So and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, and then you've got mm. things like... Um, uh, not just, you know, killing the main villain. It's like, oh, if I take half the head, then everything will fall away. It's like, here's a henchman. Oh, I know, in Batman Returns specifically, I will put this TNT in his trousers and throw him in a sewer. It's like, wow, that's that's really cold murder. That's quite horrifying. That's terrorist. <laughs> it's like that great, is it college humour sketch where he's just like, oh, no, they're just asleep. And it's like, no, no, Batman, you're, you're killing these people. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. no, 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 they're just asleep. Yeah. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And there's blood everywhere. 
So, any more questions from uh, mm. Batman? Yeah, Batman my only other thing really is the this theme of Batman having the sort of slight problem with killing people. He did quite a lot of in the previous films. You mm. say it didn't really feel like it went anywhere. You had it at the end with the black mask. Mm-hmm. He's sort of using that against. It's like, oh god! So then Batman punches him out. Which yeah, I'm it's... pretty sure he would have done anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, I think it's the idea that. Um... Much in the same way of how contemporary franchises deal with themselves, we are setting up something else as well. This is the unfortunate nature of franchise. We're just basically bringing that to an earlier point. Because the problem with 90s films was, we don't know we're getting a sequel. We might get a sequel. We think we get a sequel. We have to get rid of the villain, kill them, lock them up, whatever. Mm. Most of the time it's kill them. Um, but we want something that feels like a continuing story. Mm. So this would be themes that brought later, where maybe the idea that you know Batman... I don't know, would, would have to control Barbara in her rage of... Like, and potentially like, uh, something bad could happen and he might then have to question whether he regrets not killing and taking out those people. Mm. Exactly. It's just a step on the journey. Pretty much. I've, yeah. I've, from a closer point of view from an actual solid film yeah. release, yeah, there is that. So I'm but never, in, never keen on that. No. Because then you're actually just making a really long film that mm. you have to wait several <laughs> years to see the second half of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Theoretically, half. by that logic, you've only... Which we literally do. Half of your Batman. Bullshit! Oh. Throw down with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, we've given you we've given you a, a broader character rather than someone who has to at the end of the film come to a conclusion and the next film find out what his next problem is and then has to come up with a character reboot every single time of like oh remember how I was like really worried about this earlier I'm not anymore now I am so I I don't know see I think I'm kind of with. Stuart on this one, where I... Surprise! Surprise! Animals for life! Snip, snip. Yeah. But I think um, you don't have to close the whole thing off at the end of the narrative. You can have right that part of it, you know, it's, mm. it's this part of the journey that needs to needs I, guess, some I think it would, be, it would be in performance and in the final conversations with Harvey, perhaps. It was, it's one of the things that would be in the film enough to give audience closure without being... And see! Well, you didn't tell us that. If it isn't on the page, we don't know. But... I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now, in our because in our otherwise this thing would be twenty yeah. fucking pages long. Yeah, yeah, we have to, we have to, we have to summarize. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. So, yeah. uh, not time to uh, cross-examine bat nipples and Ooh, Alex I'll just sleep magnum opus. Uh, How about wallet questions? Have a nap. Uh, I'll just go, you go first, and I'll, sure. I'll just yeah. go change into my bat suit. <laughs> yeah. Out of your current Batsuit into your other Batsuit. (laughs) So we pretty much abandoned Batman Forever entirely. Yeah. Uh, And you kind of did. You kept a lot of it. Like, really just amended small bits. I'd say it's more than small bits. I think there's Well, no, there's still the Enigma thing where it's it's now a video game rather than a TV box. Um, Which I think is a big distinction. Um, Not for an audience. That's still a power glove sale. Uh, uh, I think <laughs> that's how the gauntlet. But I um, think that it's a it's a detail that I think works because the idea of the Riddler as being somebody who plays games, mm-hmm. and the idea of the Riddler as being somebody who is all about being the best and being the smartest mm. and all about beating people, mm. then why would he not be a video game designer? And why would he Part not have designed the most... Part of me thinks it's 1995. Most... And as much as games are big, and they always have been big, it was still TV for the audience for a reason. I mean, much like the idea of setting it in the period and stuff. It had to be TV for that audience because people would still go... Mm. We're pitching for a slightly younger audience, though, remember. <clears throat> I'd also like to point out that um, I may have stolen this idea from Batman the Animated Series once oh. again, in which he <laughs> is swine. a video game designer, okay. and that is okay. his. And to me, that just seemed 
but like, yeah. such a Riddler thing. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the nature of setting up elaborate pl- pranks and traps yeah. and things does feel like the nature of a video game. So I can understand a bunch of levels in a video yeah, game. No, I I get that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to bring more of that Riddlerness into it because it was sure. something that was so missing from. Yeah. My thing is that I think Batman Forever had the potential to be a really good movie and got ruined by it being the nineties and by it being yeah. But there's definitely the thing. I think I think it's quite evident in in the pitch that it's basically you like Batman. Not saying you like Batman Forever, but (laughs) you do like Batman Forever. But as you say, you want to just make it uh, to hone it and to make just just perfect it to the thing you. I like the movie it could be. I think that's that's the best thing. Yeah. I. so, just go, go over the details. So, the idea is that um, Riddler is targeting certain people to to execute them, basically, using the video game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that doesn't come back to him at all. I mean, I know that Zuko's kind of worried about it. Yeah, have that actually... Cause we, did it, they have, die wearing the game? Has anyone actually... Has anyone actually... Did anyone actually die... So it's the, the point that they were going to press the button and they didn't. And yeah. That's... yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. The Riddler basically has a big switch that he is talking. Yeah, because you said it was. Yeah. Because yeah. okay. I was thinking, there's no way that wouldn't just link straight, straight back, back to him yeah, and yeah, be like, "Oh, your game's defect and yeah. you know, lawsuits and shit." In the in the, in the yeah. corporate mindset. Um, again, I like the Joker death similarity. I like we both went with that. It's clearly obviously something we picked up on as yeah. either kids or yeah. viewers or whatever. Saying that's kind of weird. But then also you said the Wayne Armory has guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's my one of my questions. The Wayne Armory has guns. In um... <laughs> he has guns in his house. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, I'm pretty sure that he has like old hunting rifles and things. Like you actually see that in the. Oh no, I know. Yeah, but I feel that the... I mean, he's got a lot of his old like the Keaton uh, suit of armor. Really. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think. That. I th- to me, the thing is that in this Batman universe that is established, mm. the Batman not using guns thing is not a thing because he's got fuck off machine guns on his Batmobile, <laughs> right? It is. Mm. This is not. There's also the sense in which Bruce Wayne has to keep up appearances. So right. I thought that it's not entirely implausible that he would not keep. Hunting rifles mm. for mm. that. Kind I don't of think thing we're because... talking about some sort of modern thing with yeah. amazing sights. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's it's not an old crap. My, my granddad's old gun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not a sniper yeah. rifle. It is just a. There is this yeah. on the premises. And to be fair, that is a detail that wouldn't even necessarily have to be from. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, taken yeah. from elsewhere. Of course. But yeah. it seemed for convenience that this yeah. would be it. But my my things. I, again, I think probably the answer to a lot of these might be because this is in the synopsis. But I felt that the. The, the aspects of kind of Edward Nigma figuring out that he was Batman was a little rushed in terms of like he sees, him, yeah. he sees him go once I assume would you be establishing that in some way that he is it because he's he's established as being super smart and being Batman's intellectually cool yeah, yeah I think there would be there would be a lot of that but this would also be something that would be investigated by the Riddler it wouldn't just be that we would, or that we would see Nigma investigating. Yeah. We would see, see him digging. Th- things like when he's at the circus, yeah, and yeah. he sees Wayne looking yeah. around and stuff, and he's like, mm, "Yeah." Mm. Does Bruce Wayne do, also do that? I am Batman. Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one can hear me. Yeah. <laughs> he um, also has a Batman logo tattooed in his forehead. Uh, <laughs> I love, I love how quickly in Batman Forever he was just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. give it all up." Yep. He's got me there. Yep. He's got me there. I can't do anything else. The other situation. Um, yeah, the journal thing, obviously, yeah. from the abandoned yeah. script points, because obviously that is in, in, in the original Batman yeah. Forever. Yeah. Um, I kind of like it, but I also kind of hate it. Not, not that you put it in there, but because I must admit, one thing I can't stand at this stage, and it's probably because it is 2017, 
I am sick of seeing Martha and Thomas Wayne dying and it's being the sole <laughs> motivation. I think it's the idea that in um, if he's meant to be doing this as some sort of um, something to help Gotham and it's not working, first and foremost, then it's to do his own uh, therapy, basically, his own violence therapy. And if he's still not over his parents... I think the thing for me was approaching this as a sort of soft reboot. Mm. And again, taking From it based on the fact that it's 1995. Mm. And we barely even... That scene, in even in Batman, not to the extent that it appears in Batman Begins, no, 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 is no, no. a much smaller detail. So I think we're at a stage... And you know, not something that appeared in the 60s series, not something... I think mm. it's only mentioned once in the first episode that his parents were killed. Yeah. So I think given the time... I think we were fair, fair game. But also because I wanted it to be a soft character reset. I like, I love Michael Keaton as Batman, mm-hmm. but I do have some problems with the characterization there because I think it is a, I think a difficult character sometimes to push, to push forward, mm-hmm. and that's part of the reason why I think we also went for another actor is wanting to soft reboot it and having this issue that I felt wasn't fully resolved in Batman the the first one and wanting to establish that to have him work through that and then be able to move on to something different in a next movie so to have closure on that and to be at we know where our version of Batman circa 1995 stands Mm -hmm. at the end of this movie so we can now we've Tweak the character a bit. We made him a bit more. Yeah, so you say it's the reboot mindset. You're covering everything. You want to cover the bases yeah. so everyone knows what's happening and move on. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think the only other thing I sort of <clears throat> felt was that the ending. Um, I, I didn't. I felt it was a bit abrupt. Yeah, I thought the ending was a bit abrupt. I didn't quite feel that the Zukio, the, the Zuko sort of letting Robin escape, disabling the thing, felt. Motivated enough or realistic enough? Um, well, that brings me to a point as well, just to tie in because it works well. I don't get why he took Dick in the first place. What was the reasoning? Because mm. if he was blowing up the back of uh, Al of the Batman for a film, what's the motivation taking Dick? Is it's, it's not vengeance at this point. He's now full on. I'm a crazy Batman villain. I have to do this because I think it's eventual self from Leah. It's as bait. It's the fact that the the Riddler is obsessive mm. and he. This is not the final... This is the first part of his humiliation of Batman. He he knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. He has mm. destroyed the Batcave. But he wants to destroy everything mm. about him at this point. And he also wants him to come and find him. Okay. So Dick Grayson being baked along with the clues mm. in his further destruction of... No, I get that whole idea. Driven by revenge makes you do crazy things and yeah. not learn so logical things. Last thing I'll say then, or question, sorry, is Zuko himself. I don't know if I get on with him because at the minute, when he's like just Ray Liotta being crazy, Matthew guy, soul, get it. That makes perfect. And again, good casting. I completely understand why yeah. you go with that, but she consumed the timing as well. Um, bringing in the Batman Robin style, um, let's make a hardcore villain actually not that villainous because he's got an ill family member with the with the door angle. Kind of lost me at that point. Um, I, I, I don't know what it was. That it, was, was like, it was. It's too humanising. Yeah, it was the bit where he released him. I think. I think. I think either disable or release, but not both, because it's such a big character redemption. In There's time. no motivation for him to do such a short period of time. Yeah. What's his end game for any of this? Yeah. Is it to succeed as a criminal or to be a? Yeah. What's he going to do after this point? Because I, I take your 
Mm. I take your point about the two things maybe being a bit overkill. But I also think this is the kind of Batman movie that we were trying to make is much more of a family film. Because oh, this okay. is my... Okay. Where I come from with Batman, for me, is... I going to say Wales, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In Wales, Batman is a symbol of peace and justice. <laughs> Not some murder plot. No, yeah. it's interesting. I think we went darker and more yeah. adult. You went lighter, lighter and more family friendly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But it's, for me, it's 70s... Um, oh, right. Batman. So it's, it's Neil Adams and it's... Mm. Um, Grinning. Where it's, there's, a bit of, there's a bit of grit, but it's not... It's not as full on dark as Aethan's mm. Batman, and I, I wanted to pull back a bit from that because honestly, for me, that is a something I don't get on so mm. well with, mm. especially in. And I really like Nolan's films, but that was still something I had. No, I get, I get that. And that I, sense. I wanted this to almost do what I felt Batman Forever should have done because I wanted to make it a bit more earnest, mm. and I wanted to make it a bit more redemptive and a bit more family friendly mm. I guess in that sense but the other thing there was about the idea of letting go of certain things and letting go of guilt and letting go of and and the extent of revenge mm. and people being pushed into certain mindsets and pushed into certain situations and he's letting go of revenge but he's still going to be Batman yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> but he's going to be a different kind of Batman okay. because he is he's a lollipop kids yeah, exactly. He's going to be Robocop 2 like 50 directives. Um, it's a lovely day. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I wanted something that was a bit more of a, a a PG Batman movie. And I still think it can be... Robin Williams as the Riddler is still going to give it that kind of yeah. psychological... Yeah, I, I think he's not going to go full death to Smoochie sort of little shits kind of thing where he's just crazy. But at the same time, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Cool. I wasn't expecting a Death to Smoochie reference in this. Why not? We, we did discuss that when we were talking about <laughs> I have a copy, but I've never watched it. Because nobody in the world has ever seen it, I believe, including the editor. I've seen it. You've seen it. Right two here. of you have seen right it. Here. Yeah. Is it. Is it any good? That's okay. Actually. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. So it comes down to me as judge, I suppose. Um, it was a tricky one, actually. I like what both of you did from Batman Legacy, from Street Sharks Forever. I really like um, the twist on Two-Face. I think that's a really good way of having him as the like parallel vigilante to Batman and going the brutal side of things, staying really strictly to the the coin as well, which is obviously something Tommy Lee Jones doesn't do. <laughs> yeah. um, and I like having that kind of um, the Black Mirror to Batman, which is a common thing for his villains. They're often you know, the mm. dark reflection of him and things like that. Um, and for Bat Nipples, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that in it with a straight face. Um, I liked that you kept. Edward Nygma in there. Uh, I think Riddler is one of the more interesting Batman villains in that he is a dark kind of version of Batman, but in an almost entirely intellectual sense. Like you said at the end, Alec, where he gets his ass kicked, he's no physical match for Batman, and you actually played up to that. Whereas you get a lot of Riddlers in the comics where he's still trained in martial arts because he's a genius and stuff, and like that's not the point. Um, I, I kind of agree with these guys that Tony Zuko had a bit of a a fast arc but I like that you came back with it being a family friendly kind of thing and that that kind of justifies some some of the more kind of like you said PG side of things um, and I'm going to have to give it to Bat Nipples oh, oh yes uh, I think having thank god I you know. just said that was wrong I couldn't, I couldn't I've, bring myself to break Alex's heart I've prepared a speech <laughs> 
No, no, give it to the others. It's another five pages. Yeah, I really like. You may have known this. Alec has a little bit of advantage. He knows me better than anyone else. Oh, insider. I don't know if he knows this about me, though, but Riddler is my favourite Batman villain. I did not know. There you go. I didn't think you did. Um, and Dick, <laughs> and Dick Grayson is my all-time favourite comic book character. I, I like what you did with Dick's origin, the, the classic origin, but then having Tony Zuko tie into it as well, and him breaking into the Batcave, and which is kind of the um, Tim Drake twist on things, where he works out who Bruce Wayne is, but you had him not work out, not working out, and just adopted by Bruce Wayne, and then kind of break in. Um, yeah, I liked what you did with Riddler and Dick Grayson, and they're two of my favourite Batman characters. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Dick Grayson is also one of my favourite Batman characters, mm. which is part of the reason that I wanted that I wanted Batman Forever to work mm. in the first instance. Yeah, because I think for me, this is where I tell my sad my, my story from the heart, man. As a <laughs> your indigestion think, story, well, I am a massive as Batman a child fan, gymnast. But <laughs> yes. <as> a, <laughs> Um, in my, during my time in the circus um, no it, for me it's one of my great frustrations with Batman on film is that they've never done Robin right because I think to kids that. especially he's such an integral character because when you are a child and you read or watch Batman Batman is a cool character and he's a character to aspire to be yeah. but Dick Grayson is you He's, he's the audience. Yes. Yeah, he's it's the, the Spider-Man. Yeah. You need someone yeah. you can be rather than someone you're like, yeah, so yeah. I, I and that for that. me yeah. was, I think, a huge part of the reason I got into Batman in the first place. Mm. As a kid, it was Batman and Robin. And I really wanted to write something that did that justice, which is why it's got so... Which is why this well, film it's is... Batman and Robin. And yeah. why it's yeah. cram full of dick. That's <laughs> <laughs> Hey, there's a continuity from my other podcast where there's nothing but dick jokes. Um... <laughs> um I like the idea of, um, you guys went for completely... I would never have guessed either of your directors, which I thought was great. Mm. I would never have guessed Barry Sonnenfeld or Sam Raimi. Um, I like the idea that Raimi does this and then still goes on to do the Spider-Man films. Yeah. And, and maybe doesn't fuck up three. Yeah. <laughs> studio <laughs> interference. Oh yeah, that's all, that's all studio so interference. So um, much to blame for that. Like you mentioned, Matt, that's, mm. that's the introducing too many characters at once and too yes, many villains yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think you both balanced that quite well. You didn't... As soon as you had Catwoman opening, I was like, oh no, they can have Catwoman and Two-Face and Black Mask no, and it's going to no, be this whole no, thing. No. And, you know, the the kind of breaking point is three villains, yep, as, yep. as we've discovered in comic book movies and lots of comic books in general. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I like what you both did, but I have to give it to Bat Nipples, yeah. otherwise... Street shot actually right would... again. <laughs> <laughs> and we fly away. <laughs> Back to the pit. So, um, that's the end of episode three. For episode four, we're going to be doing something interesting. Mm. We're going to be tackling a horror movie, arguably one of the worst films ever made, (laughs) The Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Oh, fuck it out. (laughs) Looking forward to this one. Exactly, exactly. So, before we move on to episode four, Stuart, how can people contact you through the interwebs and find all your stuff? They can find me on the tweets as at Ashens, or they can look me up on YouTube. Just put Ashens into Google and you'll find me or hardcore pornography. They're both. <laughs> <laughs> Alec, how about you? Uh, I'm Alec underscore Plowman. That's P-L-O-W-M-A-N on Twitter. 
And uh, you can check out my website, which is www.alecplowman.com. Tom, how about you? Uh, so I don't have personal Twitter, but I do have the Twitter of my uh, of my company, uh, which is at Made by Forward on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're a video production agency and we make films and whatnot. And you can also check out the kind of films what we make on our website, which is weareforward.uk. Matthew, how about you? Um, film reviews, therederighthand.co.uk. Filmmaking stuff, cheesemint.com, or just shine a big off, fuck off light in the sky and I'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Lights in the sky, you do Matt that. Man. Matt <laughs> Man! Matt <laughs> um, Man! For me, I'm at JLW Chambers on basically everything. Um, I host a couple of other podcasts as well, all about comics, so this is probably the most relevant um, episode to uh, mention my other, co- my other podcasts. Uh, I host the Intercomics podcast, I'm on the Ultimate Spin podcast, and a podcast called Four Colour Corner as well. Um, so yeah if you want to listen to me chat about comics and lots of Batman plenty of dick involved in those ones I'll tell you that now come and check those out as well thank you for listening everybody we'll see you in the next episode ta bye collective goodbye Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. (laughs) To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.